Kids, you did an awesome job waving palm branches this morning. Great job. Palm Sunday, we're celebrating this day, and you helped us so much. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And with that, you can go and celebrate Children's Church. Have a great time. And uh, I don't know if you'll be talking about Palm Sunday in there today or not. I'm guessing that that's probably the case. So have a super time, kids. And uh, it's great to see everybody. It's great to be uh, with you this morning. Great to have you here and to be in worship together on this day. And it has been a special privilege over the last few weeks to hear from some, just some, of our team of preachers here at Coast Community. we got a lot of preaching people in this church, and so we uh, like to give opportunity from time to time to hear from, from these and to hear from Aaron a few weeks ago, and then Rolf, and then Danny last week as we continue through our Lenten journey through the Psalms. And we're calling this uh, uh, From the Depths. I think I have a sermon slide there, or maybe not. There it is. And uh, we've been listening to uh, the Psalms. And this is wrapping up today, the last and the, the sixth Sunday and last Sunday of Lent. We'll move into Holy Week this week, as you're aware, and on to Easter uh, Sunday, a celebration of the resurrection next Sunday. So uh, good things are happening, good days are upon us. And we've been listening to the prayers and the praises of the Psalms. And, and I hope that you have been able to and, and have been attempting to enter into the space that was inhabited by the, the authors, the, the writers, David in most cases, but other writers as well of these Psalms. I hope that you've been allowing these Psalms to both speak to you and speak for you. That, have you ever noticed how the Psalms have that effect? They, they, they speak both to us, but they also speak for us a lot of times when we read them and, and pray them. I hope that you've been able to find some way of, of applying these beautiful prayers, these powerful words to your lives as, as well. How grateful we are for the presence of the Psalms in Scripture. And as I said about six weeks ago, we dare not take this middle chunk of the Bible for granted. How easy it is on a day when our devotions run dry or when we're not sure what to read, we just boink, open to the middle and pick a psalm. And sometimes, that's awesome, but sometimes we maybe begin to take them for granted. And may we never do so, but realize the power of these words, the power of these prayers and praises that we have before us. Their form, their content that inspires and informs us. And may we give thanks for their enduring nature. So today we come to Psalm 118. Uh, an extraordinarily important psalm in the history of both Judaism and Christianity. A powerful expression of, of praise and thanksgiving. Particularly appropriate for this day. As we join with Christians around the world in celebrating Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And words that, as you'll hear as we read the psalm, were picked up by the New Testament authors and by the, the people of the New Testament as they witnessed the events and activity and the person of Jesus and found the words from Psalm 18 to be particularly appropriate to describing what was going on among them. So let's look there together. Psalm 118, it'll be on the screen as well, but let me read for us verses 1 and 2 and then just verses 19 to 29. Let's stand together, can I? Can we? Psalm 118, verses 1 and 2 and then 19 to 29. Pay 
good attention here to the word of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let all Israel repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Leave it there. Let all coast community repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Great. Over to verse 19. Open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in and thank the Lord. These gates lead to the presence of the Lord, and the godly enter there. I thank you for answering my prayer and giving me victory. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, shining upon us. Take the sacrifice and bind it with cords on the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, before there was Hillsong, before there was Bethel music and church, before there was Chris Tomlin and Jeremy, even before there was all sons and daughters. I, I know it's hard to believe. But before there was our Coast Community Band, there were the Psalms. Before there was Michael W. Smith, for those of you of another generation. Before there was Amy Grant. Before there was, dare I say it, the Gaithers. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. Before there was Fanny Crosby, before there was John Newton, before there was Charles Wesley, there were the Psalms. Before there was 10,000 reasons, shout to the Lord, Lord, I lift your name on high, and even amazing grace, there were the Psalms. Before any of these great songwriters and songs of the church got their start, the Psalms were there. The original songbook of the church, or LED screen, whatever. Before, before any of it, the songbook of the church was there in the Psalms, declaring the glory of God, inviting the people of God to lift their voices in praise and worship. I remember the first time I stood before a group of people in a college-age Sunday school class when I was in seminary, and nobody else could play the guitar, so I decided I'd give it a shot, and it was bad. But we lifted the name of the Lord on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. And it was about four chords, and I played them over and over and over and over. And we sang that song the next week, too. Probably the next, and then I think I learned another. Some of you even were a part of this church when I stood up here with a guitar and led the worship from week to week. Bless you. That's all I can say, Greg, to those of you who endured those days. Bless you. Um, I, I, I know what it is to be a worship leader, and many of you have helped participate in leading worship. And I'm so thankful for our team today, and so thankful for the worship leaders who have helped shape a, the church in many ways, and the songwriters who have helped give form to our expression of, 
of who we are as the people of God, who have helped guide us in our, 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 our proclamation, who have written tremendous anthems and simple choruses that have proclaimed the faithfulness and the goodness of God. But they would be the first to tell you, and I would for sure be the first to tell you that they're not doing anything new. They didn't start it. They're just following the pattern set for them by David and the other writers who penned these psalms. And when we stand together, when we, when we get together on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or whenever it might be, and we stand up and we, some of us lift our hands up and worship and we lift our voices in praise and we sing maybe on key, maybe off, maybe in tune, our pitch, we're a little pitchy, you know, whatever that might mean. Uh, some of you know exactly what that means. Um, uh, when we stand and do that, whether, again, it's a brand new modern chorus that you're learning for the first time or it's an old, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Whatever the case might be as we stand and sing, we're not doing anything that God's people haven't been doing for thousands of years. This is what, this is what we've done. This is what we do. Sing a new song to the Lord, for he has done wonderful deeds, says Psalm 98. Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy, says Psalm 100. I will sing of your love and justice, Lord. I will praise you with songs, says Psalm 101. The Psalms have called us to worship. They have guided us, guided us in worship. They have given voice to our worship for centuries, and they're still able to help us today. And so in recent weeks, we've heard different psalms, psalms that have invited us to a place of repentance. We've heard psalms that have invited us to a, a, a place of, of heeding a warning of the Lord from, from the potential hard-heartedness that we might slip into. We've heard psalms of, of comfort, of, of the protection, the provision of the Lord, our shepherd. We've, we've heard psalms that have spoken to us of our desperate need for God's help. But today we've heard a psalm, at least a portion of the psalm, whose theme perhaps best fits what we and most people most commonly associate with the psalms in general. For we've heard a psalm of praise. Psalm 118 is pure and simple about praise. And not the sort of cheap, kind of surface level kind of praise, but the kind of praise of God that cuts deep, that, 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 that recognizes that there is life, that there is victory, that there is an abundance of goodness and loyal love in this God that we serve. Marvel and be moved, writes one commentator. That's the invitation of this psalm, she says. An open-ended prayer of praise and petition applicable in all generations, renewably contextual. I know those are some big words, but always fitting to every generation who recognizes that God has delivered in the past that God delivers now and that God will deliver again. All the saints, she says, have sung this song and they will sing it well into the future. Praise God. 
Praise God for Psalm 118. Scholars are actually divided on its origin and its history, even as we read it. Maybe you picked up on some of that. Some think it was, a, it was first composed as a royal song of thanksgiving for military victory. We had a big military victory. Let's write this song of thanks and praise to God. Others say it was first created as a hymn to be sung each fall as Israel sort of re-celebrated and re-enthroned their Davidic earthly king. It's not clear, even to scholars, who's always speaking in the psalm. Some think it's a the king, some think it's a priest, some think it's just a, a common worshiper who is making his or her way in pilgrimage to Israel. But whatever its beginning and whoever speaks its voice, it's clear that this particular psalm as it begun to be read and heard and prayed among the people of God took special place. It resonated with them deeply, for it became a a central part of their life and their worship, their existence as a people. Psalm 118 is the sixth and final of what are known as the Hallel or Hallel Psalms, 113 through 118. And these Psalms were were known for, for use amidst the festivals and the religious days of the Jewish people. They were, they, were, they were, during the Passover feast, recited word for word, Psalm 113 ending in Psalm 118, great words of praise to God. And at other feasts throughout the, the year as well, the Hebrew people would come together and speak these words, recite these words of praise. They were worked deeply into their life. The Hallel Psalms. Hallel. Does that word sound familiar to you at all? The the, the basic uh, uh, root word, Hebrew word for praise, hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, hallelujah, say it with me, I know you want to, hallelujah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, the hallel psalms, the, the final the, the ultimate expression of the, the, the psalm's praise to the Lord here found in Psalm 118. It is good to praise the Lord. It's good to give testimony to the goodness of God, isn't it? Where have you heard it lately? Those of us who are watching the uh, college basketball tournament over the last month, March Madness, we heard it in post-game interviews. I love watching those college kids. They're doing the very best they can, and they get asked about that last second shot that they made, and they say, yeah, it was just, I want to give all glory to God, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And yeah, it was a great shot, and I just want to talk some more about it. I mean, they're, they're doing the very best they can. They get that little testimony in there, and, and sometimes it, maybe you just think it's kind of a, you know, something to make their grandma happy or, or whatever it might be. But other times it's like, wait a second, I, I meant to say that. I've got a platform. I've got millions of people watching me right now. And as excited as I am about that shot that I just made, I, I need to give glory to God at some level for who he is and what he's done in my life. And not just that I made this shot, but because of who he is. I heard it uh, in an email from Kyla's aunt who had a biopsy this week and still waiting for final results, but the first uh, sign was that all things are looking good. Praise Jesus, she said simply. Maybe you heard one like that. 
Um, I heard it recently in a rescue mission graduate. An entire graduation actually is person after person, men and women stood giving glory to God for the power that he'd given them to overcome addiction and the pain of the past. It's good to praise the Lord. Say it again. Hallelujah. 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 Hello. Praise the Lord. This psalm both begins and ends with the invitation to praise. Maybe you noticed as I read at the beginning, and then the last words are the same suggests to us that everything in between is just building on this idea. Did you hear it? Verse 1 and verse 29, give thanks to the Lord for he's good. His faithful love endures forever. Let all Israel repeat, his faithful love endures forever. We did it when I was reading, but let's do it again, can we? Let all Coast community repeat. The words are, his faithful love endures forever. Let all Coast community repeat, his faithful love endures forever. His faithful love endures forever. Whether the biopsy is clean, whether you won the game, whether you've kicked the addiction completely or not, his faithful love endures endures forever. His hesed love, the Hebrew word, his loyal love, his undying covenant love endures forever. What do you have to give praise to God for today? Think about it just for a moment. What do you have to give praise to God for today? How has he shown himself? Where has he been in action Where has he revealed his grace, his provision, his mercy, his love? How has he been at work in not only your individual life, but maybe in the life of your family? Where is he holding, sustaining, healing, maybe in ways that we see and ways that we don't? How has he been at work in the life of our church? Providing for us in ways, again, that we've seen in ways that we haven't been always dialed into. What do we have to give praise to God for today in our lives. Listen to some of the phrases from Psalm 118, some of the phrases of this psalm that we didn't read. Verse 5, In my distress I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. Anybody experienced the freedom of Christ? Verse 6, The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? You can hear echoes of the Apostle Paul in those words, can't you? The Lord is for us. Who can be against us? Verse 14, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me the victory. Verse 17, one of Martin Luther's favorite verses that he wrote on to a a, a wall in a room that he was staying in for a long time. I will not die. Instead, I will live to tell what the Lord has done. I will not die. Instead, I will live to tell what the Lord has done. And some of the verses that we did read, verse 21, I thank you for answering my prayer and giving me the victory. 
Sounds familiar. Verse 24, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Verse 28, you are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Throughout this psalm, there's one consistent theme from the depths being cried out by this psalm writer, from the depths being sung out for us and from us. One consistent theme. We, God's people, have come to celebrate God's wonderful presence and to give him praise. From the depths, oh God, we cry out to you in praise. Let all Coast Community repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Have we not all witnessed marvelous and faithful things the Lord has done? Those around us, have we all not experienced deliverance at some level? Our Lord is forever faithful, friends. Our Lord has brought us life and hope. Our Savior has come, and this is the powerful truth and thanksgiving that this song, that this psalm announces salvation has arrived. There is no more waiting because he is here. And undoubtedly, that's the truth that the crowds picked up on as Jesus rode into town that day. Undoubtedly, that's the, that's the powerful truth that New Testament writers, gospel writers, and Peter and Paul picked up on as well as they enveloped the themes and the ideas of this particular psalm. Why so much from this particular psalm into their description, the gospel writers at least, of that particular day and the other writers of their Complete understanding of Jesus. Applied to this day, many of the words and phrases are right here in the gospel stories as well. But now they've been reimagined and they've been transformed. Listen to this. Now it's not as in Psalm 118, a band of pilgrims coming to the city. But in the gospel, it's a king and his court that is coming into Jerusalem. Now it isn't just a righteous worshiper who seeks to come through the gates of this city to go in and to thank the Lord. Now it is the righteous one himself who seeks to enter in through the gates of the Lord to give thanks to God. Now the stone that the builders had rejected and who was becoming the cornerstone was in fact, Jesus himself, the one to whom the crowd sang, Hosanna, save us, Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now it was this particular king, this one Jesus, who was the one who was blessed and honored as the one who came and who comes in the name of the Lord. We've already alluded to it a little bit, and we can just go ahead and admit it. That Psalm, that Palm Sunday is probably the most perplexing of the days on the Christian calendar. With sort of competing narratives, 
and conflicting emotions. I think you know what I'm talking about. Don't get me wrong at all. I love Palm Sunday. I love the kids walking around with palm branches. I love the adults walking around with palm branches. Come on, people. I love it. Just grab a branch and go for it next year. Don't let anything hold you back. I I love this idea of of joyfully celebrating the, the coming king. And this is one of the great tradition in our church and obviously the church around the world. And it's very fitting because on the one hand, the gospel writers tell us that the people waved these branches as a sign of the victory of God, of this king. And as a part of this, this festal jubilation that was overwhelming the city. The city was in an uproar that day, we, we read. And they laid these branches down on the ground for Jesus, the king, as he came into the royal city, Jerusalem, and as he rode over them on his donkey. But there it is. That's the other hand, right? He came riding in, not on a big white horse, but on a donkey. This day that's known as Jesus' triumphal entry. Why in this moment of so-called triumph is he riding on a donkey and not a horse. If this is the triumphal entry, then it's perplexing that he didn't come into town like other kings with not only a, a, an entourage, but with a, 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 an army <laughs> marching before him and behind him. Instead, he comes, entourage is a nice word, a, a ragtag band, really, who would all actually desert him by week's end. It's perplexing. Particularly strange that the folks there to cheer him on in this moment, the ones yelling Hosanna or Lord save us, would be the same ones crying out, as Michelle alluded to, crucify him, crucify him in the days that were to come. It's perplexing because we know in the background of this story that that the ultimate exaltation of this king, which is shortly to occur in this narrative will be marked not by more and more celebration. This isn't an an upward arc here. It'll be marked, especially as we heard Audrey read from the passage in Isaiah of a a servant who who came to suffer, to offer himself. Uh, uh, A Lord who recognizes that that the way upward was downward. Committed to downward mobility, (laughs) this Jesus. It's perplexing that this ultimate exaltation would not be marked by more and more celebration, but by pain and by suffering. Well, of the competing narratives or sort of the conflicting moods on Palm Sunday, the yeah and the whoa, Psalm 118 definitely sides on the side of, yeah, (laughs) that's good. It leans toward this joyous celebration. It's the power of God here that we read of in Psalm 118 to save and to deliver. That's at the heart and the core of the the message of this psalm. It's It's the power of God at work that 
Psalm 118 notes again and again. And now we think of it particularly the power of God at work in the person of Jesus Christ to save and deliver that we celebrate, that we joyfully proclaim, that we look forward to as we enter into this week and remember on this day. But if you read Psalm 118, especially in its entirety, you, you recognize that there is, there is threat of danger all around. Even as the, the, the psalm writer is writing his praises to the Lord, he's speaking of the nations that are, that are stacked against him. The, the enemies, the, the princes and the people who are, who are coming up against him. And particularly there in verses 22 and 23, I think it is, yes, where the writer speaks of a rejected stone. These, these ideas can't help but remain sort of lurking in the background of this text and on this day. And they ever remind us as we think about this story and even as we think about this psalm that the road to triumph, that the true triumph for this king will ultimately and only come first through his suffering, then his death, and then his resurrection. There's a process to be carried out here. It won't come easy for this king. This, as verse 23 reminds us, is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. You know, I, I think it's actually as we get this full picture at Palm Sunday, as we, as we not only rejoice in the, the triumphal entry of Jesus, but as we are reminded of the danger lurking in the background, that we can really fully come to a place of complete praise. It's only when, maybe when we know the, the full story as we are privileged to, to know from our place in history that our praise can be at its most complete. A couple weeks ago, my family and I were in Arizona, and we took in some spring training baseball games. That was kind of fun, but then Three-fourths of our family had never been to a particular uh, impressive site in Arizona, so we drove north about three and a half hours or so, and we landed at the Grand Canyon. The three-fourths are me, my son, and my daughter. My wife had been there, Kyla, before. But the rest of us were not sure what to expect. We'd heard stories about the Grand Canyon. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Just... All right, many of you, most of you. This is for those of you who haven't been yet. <laughs> I think those who have been can appreciate it. Hey, you hear stories, and as you, as you arrive, you're, 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 you're kind of herded or, or led to places where you might view. And, but, but I'll likely never forget the moment where we turned around the corner and saw the sign and it said, this way to the Grand Canyon. And we followed the sign and came around another corner and there were exposed to the Grand Canyon in all its beauty and in all its grandeur, in all its hugeness. 
And you can hear about the Grand Canyon. You can, you can read about it and study about it and, and be amazed by the idea of it, but it's until, not until you see the Grand Canyon that you fully fall under its trance, under its significance, under the deep impact of such a sight, and can respond in a way that is perhaps appropriate to it. We can give praise. We can give praise to the God who we, who we have heard of, who we have read of, who we know about, who has acted in history, who has been at work through his people for thousands of years, who has delivered his people from slavery, who has delivered them from bondage. We can acknowledge this God, but it's really only when we come face to face with this God who in his hugeness has become the one who would give fully of himself, even to the point of death on a cross, that we can fully praise him, that we can fully experience the depth of what he longs to be and desires to be in us and for us, and respond to him in the way that is truly appropriate. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. I invite our worship team to come up. Let's bow our heads for a moment, can we? God, today on this Palm Sunday, this day when we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem as we anticipate with him all that the week would hold, our hearts are drawn to praise. Our hearts are lifted to, to glorify this Jesus, this, this coming King this one who was different than any who had come before, this one who was the Son of God. And yet, on this very same day, the threat of danger lurks in the background. And, and instead, though, of sort of pushing that aside, we, this morning, we just invite that in. We welcome that into the scene. We welcome that into the picture. For this Jesus who is worthy of our praise, is not only the king who reigns supreme, but he's the king who reigns supreme because of his suffering and his pain. That we can know deliverance, that we can know salvation, not just because he is almighty and powerful, but because he is humble and he is meek. He's willing to give of himself, fully of himself, not holding anything back, that we might know forgiveness. And so we praise you, Jesus, for the fullness of this story, for the joy and for the danger, for all that you welcomed into your life, for all that you gave, the grand 
beauty of this narrative so that we might know life and so that we might give you praise. God, I pray for those that are gathered here before me today. I pray for my own heart. I pray, oh God, that for those who may this morning not yet know what it is to experience the, the love and the forgiveness and the freedom that is found in Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross and in the resurrection, that they might get a taste of that even here this morning. Those who have experienced that very deliverance, Jesus, would come to a new understanding and a new place of a life lived in praise to you, not just words spoken, but a life lived in praise to you for the full story of what you have done and what you will continue to do. We give you our praise today. Oh, Jesus, Hosanna in the highest. Lord, save us. And we do so with hearts full of thanksgiving. Your faithful love endures forever. Let's stand and sing, can we?